0: From man's sweat and God's love, beer came into the world. Amen.
1: Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how is it going?
2: It's going good. Um, I'm just about to be on a relaxing weekend, and I'm really excited for it. It's like the first one in a long time, so uh, in between a bunch of weddings right now, so I'm excited to be there. I have nothing really planned for the weekend. I got like a meeting that I have to be at on Saturday for coaching, but other than that, Scotch tape, I'm so clear, so uh I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to resting uh really, Tim, how about you
1: doing well doing well, you missed a uh a fun derby party well, turning out to not be a party it was just to get together, but mutual friend came over I'm uh sad. you guys had to cancel on Saturday I know uh you missed some phenomenal pulled pork that's what I heard it was uh cooking for two days, and then it just fell out of the bag when I pulled it out, so it was phenomenal barbecue, and then uh, it was pretty exciting, Kentucky Derby, the favorite, scratched in the morning, and uh, by race time, they had reset who the favorite was, but I I was joking while we were watching it, I was saying, yeah, they're not really the favorite, it's just the gambling lines are scrambling to figure out who's the next best uh, favorite, so... And then a horse came out of nowhere to win it, so uh, that was exciting. And then we watched NASCAR and Formula One. Wow. Yeah, it was three races on the same day, so. Nice. It was fun, so. And then the week's gotten off to a good start, so. Good times. That is good.
2: Uh, Speaking of good times, we're drinking beer tonight. Sitting here drinking beer. from good times brewing um we're drinking oh uh champagne uh no uh we're drinking a special brew from stone brewing company uh (laughs) tim smelling the cork uh it's called enjoy after April twentieth, twenty seventeen. <laughs> and the look on Tim's face is saying this is gonna be a dud. Um I'll read the bottle, or maybe Tim will read the bottle, um to let you know a little bit more about it. Are you wanting that much head?
1: No, I poured it slow and it's still Oh sure,
3: it gets to taste it and I don't get a try. <laughs>
2: All right, so it says, uh, really, seller, an IPA? And the answer is yes, this is a bread IPA. It says, what you hold in your hands is an experiment. This IPA is spiked at bottling with bread anomacies, a wild yeast that over time brings about charmingly unpredictable complexities of spice, funk, acidity, and more. The operative words in our beer cl- uh, cellaring thesis are over time, in quotes. For those of you who are impatient or like to experiment, the earliest we recommend sampling this beer is uh, April 20th in 2016. Uh, the beer won't be fully carbonated until that date. Ideally, you'll want to cellar the beer up to or beyond the enjoy after date to help it reach its full evolutionary potential. At that point, some facets of the Brett characteristics will have mellowed, while others will have become more profound. It all matures into a fascinating and delicious culmination. Individual results will vary, and that's both the beauty and the intent behind this beer. So uh, basically, we have wine beer here.
1: It's actually pretty tasty, but yeah, it tastes like beer that the monks would have made. An IPA uh, monks would have made 500 years ago.
3: I haven't tried it yet. Smells like apple cider.
1: (laughs) What is the alcohol on that thing? It's only 7%. It tastes
2: really tasty, though. It does. (laughs) That's delightful. That's
1: uh, trouble in a bottle. It tastes like a amped up Hefeweizen or some other kind of, it's not a Hefeweizen, some other,
2: I'm just really glad it's expensive so that way I don't buy a bunch of it.
1: Belgian, (laughs) yeah, it tastes like a Belgian summer beer. I mean, truly, it's got, it's fruity on the front, but it's also got spice. I mean, it truly does taste like something Belgian monks would have made.
2: It's really tasty. Highly recommend. You have to be on like Stone's like email list, but it's really tasty. We're enjoying it. Uh, six years after the recommended uh, <laughs> date of consumption, well, it will enjoy after. So, beer tasted tested. What are we talking about tonight, Tim? Any cleanups on any aisles? Any hot topics? No
1: cleanups or hot topics that I'm aware of. I think we've just got two major topics we're going to try to delve into. And depending on how long we talk about them, it'll end up being one or two episodes. I don't think we're going to spend that much time on both. But then again, you and I are really good at going on tangents and whatnot. So we'll just sit back and see.
2: We'll enjoy the beer.
1: So... And enjoy let's the company. Do, let's do topic number 1 which is it's we're going to talk about Christian contemporary Christian music and it's going to involve I think several items because the problem with the we're going to talk about some criticisms about it and I think some of the things that are unfair because in some ways the music gets conflated and then two and I'll explain that what I mean by that and then uh our opinions about Christian contemporary music ourselves but just in terms of aesthetic opinions but not necessarily theological ones but we'll start with the theological criticism of them I'm going to read from and that's tank in the background
3: worshiping jesus yes yes so this is
1: uh let's do one of the article i'm reading a quote from john macarthur it's an excerpt from his new testament commentary on ephesians I don't know what context this is being brought up, Well, it's in context of Ephesians 5.19. So he says, in Ephesians 5.19, Paul explains among whom, from where, with what, to whom, and how spirit-filled believers are to sing. Among whom do believers sing? The primary audience for our singing is to be fellow believers one another. Throughout scripture, the singing of God's people is shown to be within the fellowship of believers. No music in the Bible is ever characterized as being or intended to be evangelistic. God may use the gospel content set to music to bring the truth to the lost and thus lead lead them to himself. Since the message is so powerful, the open heart may receive it even though It comes with a melody. That is not the intent of music when emotions are played on without a clear or complete presentation of God's truth to the mind. Such music can be counterproductive by producing a feeling of well-being and contentment that is counterfeit of God's peace and that serves to further insulate an unbeliever from the saving gospel. It should be noted that many Contemporary entertainers who think they are using rock-style music to evangelize the lost are often doing nothing more than contributing to the weakening of the church. Evangelizing with contemporary music has many serious flaws. It tends to create pride in the musicians rather than humility. It makes the gospel a matter of entertainment when there is not one thing in it that is all-entertaining. It makes the public proclaimers of Christianity those who are popular and talented in the world's eyes, rather than those who are godly and gifted teachers of God's truth. In using the world's genres of music, it blurs the gap between worldly satanic values and divine ones. It tends to deny the power of the gospel and the sovereign saving work of the Holy Spirit. It creates a wide generation gap in the church, thus contributing to the disunity and lack of intimacy in the fellowship of all believers." it leads to the propagation of bad or weak theology and drags the name of the Lord down to the level of the world. The music of the gospel is certainly not a legitimate means for making money or seeking fame, and it must never be allowed to cheapen what is priceless or trivialize what is profound. There is much that I agree with that, and there is much that I profoundly disagree with. And I find utterly inane for someone as intelligent as John MacArthur to be to be arguing. And so, those are that's my initial response to that. What's yours?
2: Um, I think he goes on the wrong track. That's just more kind of the weird part about it.
1: That that's exactly what. Yeah. What I mean.
2: Yeah, it's just like oh. Like, I think that the discussion needs to be had about worship music and its place and those types of things, Uh, but he went a a weird route. He went
1: off on a non-sequitur.
2: Yeah, and it was like, that's, like, you're not acknowledging other things, almost. Like, I don't know. So, like, the issue that I have right off the bat is just the issue that he has with the spiritual element that's being produced by music, sure this this sense of safety or whatever that's not actually in God, it's actually in the the unity of the moment um with those around you and the music and all that kind of stuff but that believe it or not, is the appeal of church so like for you to just sit there and say that like you're that's church yeah <laughs> it's it's that's what Jesus was talking about was being around believers and yeah it's cultish if you really think about it because if we take away the music it sounds like you know what a lot of people think that the cults sound like and stuff like that yeah because that's what it is you know um if you if you strip it down to its basic form you're that's what you're doing and just in the same way that if we sit there and we listen to a pastor and we feel connection to it and you know um, in that moment, where you're everybody in the room and that kind of stuff, like yeah, it's so it's just a weird thing for him to come after that and say like you know it's this artificial piece or whatever, and it's like yeah, but that's that's r- literally what what religion is, any practice that you participate in with the with the greater body is this uh, is this artificial thing, and that's why. Uh, when we read C.S. Lewis, he says that, yeah, you're faking it. Like, that's what you're doing. You're faking your religion. You're faking this, uh, this setup. Um, and, and eventually, you become better through that process. The more you fake it, the more you become what you are faking. And so it's just kind of, like, weird. I just don't understand why he went after that. It's odd to me.
1: Okay, so I picked this quote. If you if you go onto Google or DuckDuckGo, just your search engine of choice, and type uh, "criticism of modern worship music," you're gonna come up with probably forty other articles by other by people who claim to be worship arts pastors or other pastors. They're they're all pretty much similar to this statement by MacArthur. So I picked this one. Not because I'm trying to pick on Johnny Mack, although Johnny Mack is easy to pick on. He's easy to pick on. We we both respect the hell out of him, but he's also He's just uh, extremely opinionated. He's very opinionated about what's right and wrong in, in the church. So he's easy for us to pick on, but I can both respect the hell out of him and
2: kill it off. Uh, and criticize him. And criticize him. So, Actually, you can do that with anybody, just so we're clear.
1: That's very true. <laughs> but if you're listening to this and you like John MacArthur, it's not because we're enemies of John MacArthur and he's just terrible. No. No. no, no, no. Uh, so, look, there's a few... A lot of the criticism for modern worship music is it's too touchy-feely. Uh, a lot of people are very... Mm, they're very hard and fast that w- true worship music, and they base this on Bible script, on scripture in Old Testament, to New Testament, and there's plenty of scriptures you can pull out that support this. That worship music is has one purpose, and that is to worship God, and that's it. It's not to make me feel good, or uh, you know, that kind of thing. Which is MacArthur doesn't directly say that, but he's criticizing that version of Christianity of of worship music. That is, uh, what's the term? Hmm. Well, it is a touchy-feely kind of thing.
2: Okay, so, so what he's getting at here is, you know, for us here in the Central Valley, one of the uh, biggest, um, and just coming from my youth pastor background, one of the biggest things that we've always talked about is, uh, is Hume Lake, um, is a huge camp in California. It's uh, probably one of the biggest Christian camps in the state. Um, And it's awesome. They throw on a huge program. It's phenomenal. We send uh, thousands of kids go every single summer, every single winter um, to this camp in the Sierra Nevadas. They even have a satellite uh, campus in San Diego. Um, And it's a really cool opportunity for kids to go up be kids at a camp, um, and have it be Jesus and Christ-centered the entire time. Uh, But one of the criticisms that we've always given as leaders, not necessarily as a kid who went there, is the emotional involvement that seems forced on the children while they are there. Um, And invoking these emotions causes what most would call this kind of cheap faith. Um, very similar to um, if you read the parable of the sower, the seed is scattered and it's all on uh, these the rocky soil or whatever.
0: Yeah, um, because
2: it's... because ultimately the kids get emotionally involved. They're they are teenagers, you know, emotions run high, and and so um, they fully dedicate. They have this experience up at camp, and then they come back, and it's really they go back to their normal lives, um, and nothing really actually changes. And so I believe that MacArthur is actually making the same kind of argument about, uh, about big church music in yeah. the church. He's making that same kind of argument where it's there is this kind of cheapness, this kind of trick that a church is able to pull, believe it or not, by getting you emotionally involved in the music. And if anybody in here doesn't believe that a church would strategically put pastors in there to get people into the door by playing music that you feel emotionally involved in to get you to tithe or to get you to be a part of their programs and those types of things. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that's that's a harsh reality of a church that has the budget nor enough to support that. That is a huge thing. You're somebody who ran a budget at a church, you know the emphasis that certain churches put on a worship pastor.
1: Well, we can get to that in a minute. <laughs> I'm not at specifics, but just yeah, the ins and outs.
2: Right, because believe it or not, the there is a certain level of sex appeal, without a better like term for it, to that part of the service. Right, right? it's the lights. Sometimes it's the smoke machines. It's the it's the blaring music. Uh, it's the really good singers on stage with thousands of dollars of equipment going um and of course what we're talking about is a middle class upper to middle class american church if you're like in a church that's barely surviving you're not getting all this it's uh some guy who just used to play wonderwall at parties is now showing up with his acoustic guitar and is like yeah i can play the same four chords um <laughs> uh it's the same thing. It's just moves over, right? So it's almost like this concert, and it feels great it's the same way concerts feel great. You feel a part of the movement when the, when the music shuts off and everybody in the crowd is singing along to freaking Freddie Mercury, right? Like, like, that feels good. Everybody loves that. They're like, this is awesome. Yeah. And they are trying to create that same response in you, and what MacArthur is warning you is that it's cheap. It's cheap. It's not, that's not what your face should be founded in. So if you're sitting there and you're like, I'm going to someplace for the music. I'm really happy that that is something that touches your soul or whatever. And you feel this emotional connection or something like that. But MacArthur is warning against that.
1: And he's correct too. Though his problem is he, he overstates it and makes blanket statements that are, fatuous but in terms of that he's correct what you're talking about the phenomenon at youth camp or what certain churches pull off in in mega churches and stuff like that they're basically trying to pull off the social contagion scenario where they get people to either buy into it on their own or they start feeling guilty because they're not the ones with their hands up. And now they're looking like the weirdos who somehow aren't being moved by this move, this music to tears and putting their hands up and singing like everybody else. Yeah. That's, that's just fake coercion and it's not lasting and that's not worship at all.
3: That's just pretending.
2: Right. And it's, and it's tough because again, this is something that, believe it or not, is biblical. I mean, even if he says that it's not. It is in the sense of you can see people that have done this. This is how the church's initial reaction when it first started in Acts was. right. This is an all-in movement. This idea that Jesus is coming back every single day and, believe it or not, in Acts, they, they legitimately believed it was happening any day. They were there waiting, waiting. They gave up all of their stuff. They gave up all of their property. They were fully invested. They were like, Jesus is coming back. So yeah, I'll give it all away right now.
1: Yeah, we, well, we talked about that. That was one of the, the questions in existential questions that we dealt with, I believe, of what, how different would your life be if you thought God was Jesus was coming back tomorrow?
2: Yeah, because none of us really actually believe it.
1: Well, because we've had 2,000 years where he hasn't come back, and so it's much less likely for us to believe it, where when when he says when he's leaving that he's going to come back, they're like, well, he must be speaking directly to me, that he's coming back for this generation, which is, there's nothing irrational about that at all. So, of course, when we read the church in Acts, where they're like, yeah, we're going to live communally, and everything you make, you put throw into the pot, and it's... It's like Christian communism, where to each, each's needs, and we're caring for one another, and we're even caring for those outside of the, yeah, when you think Jesus is coming back and this is we're building the kingdom, I'm sorry, human nature being fallen, even those of us who are Christians, after about 2,000 years, like, eh. Right. And, and we have the hindsight of revel- of other verses where, where we're reminded where Jesus says, you don't really know the time and the place.
2: Right, and Acts even says – or like – and you can watch it happen in the book of Acts where literally they're like – they give up all their property and they do all this stuff and then they're like – like days go by and then they're like – okay, so, like, we gotta, like, sustain ourselves. (laughs) Um, So they, like, try to figure that out, and they're like, okay, well, this just isn't gonna work, and then eventually they go and get benefactors and that kind of stuff, and and they're able to do it, and it becomes, it morphs into something else. It's not just these people just giving up all of their possessions and just, like, worshipping around for hours on end um, because they're like, okay, I still need to live. Yeah. Um, And what does that look like? And so... Um, they go through that, and I think C.S. Lewis says it really well. Um, when we just again bringing up mere Christianity again, but he says like you know, uh, this this is not a simple faith, but the the response that you get very similarly from that music it's not a bad thing, right? Like wanting to feel that high in that moment of rejoicing and, and feeling God's presence in in that situation where you feel emotionally attached. Um, To this being and you feel that unison or whatever that's very similar Like I said to that of those people in acts where they were sitting there and they were like I'm giving it all up because this is how I feel like it's going to be this is coming. This is here But then when you step away There's a practicality that now has to be involved with your faith and so um, if you're just sitting there constantly trying to achieve that high um i'm sorry i think that like what lewis was talking about is that you have made your faith very simple a lot more simple than it should be um to where this is something that you um need to understand is that we are supposed to grow and we're supposed to develop and we're supposed to learn and what happens with um with this kind of cheapness that kind of comes through worship uh you're not and just looking for that it it doesn't help you grow um and and developing and realize the reality of the faith that we live in and I mean like I wasn't even expecting to talk about this with the
1: with music
2: but I mean I think that it's a valid point I think that MacArthur makes a good point
1: he starts off correct yeah um well, we'll get to where he goes off the rails cuz I I I do want I do want to stay on where he's correct. We've where he is correct is too much Christian well, I do want to have I do want to have this little discussion and then we'll go where I was taking this. I think one of the problems Christianity is facing right now is
3: there's conflating worship music
1: with just Christian music, and I do think that there's a problem with that. I think church, music and church should be praise, worship, praise music, and it should be for the right reasons of getting people there, but I don't necessarily... Where where I where one of the areas where I disagree with MacArthur and and those who are really hard heavy into criticizing modern Christian music is um I think there's a place for music that's not all just worship worship God this this king and all that on in other days of your life when you're not at church whereas they they view christian music should only be praise music and it should only be to the glory of god and i disagree with that and we can get into why i disagree with that later i mean or we can deal with it now
2: i go to i mean we're just talking about previous episodes i always go back to chariots of fire when i run i feel his presence it's this idea of we can worship god in so many other ways than singing I, this voice of mine was not made for vocals
1: <laughs> well i don't even mean us singing i mean listening to music that we find that we find inspirational or something but again it's not just praising god I'll, I'll use you 2 as an example. It's a great example. And uh, we probably should have prepped for this for a show. Maybe I'll drop it in the show notes. And may, or maybe we'll do a follow-up to this what episode. Do you,
2: what song you want? Oh, well, no, you I'm want, just... No, you want the interview with Bono.
1: There's an interview with Bono. Uh, Bono with... His Name Escapes Me. It's done through the facilitation of uh, Fuller Seminary. And they are talking about the Psalms. And Bono is very critical of Christian music. But he's critical of it from a completely different standpoint than MacArthur is. He's critical of it because he doesn't find a lot of it very genuine.
2: This is the interview where he's with the guy from The Message.
1: Correct. He's with the gentleman who wrote The Message.
2: Patton. Isn't it P? It starts with a P, I think. Uh, we'll put the link in the bio. It's a it's a pretty simple. There's a
1: series of videos on YouTube. They're all phenomenal. Yeah,
2: and they're all at the guy who wrote the message.
1: But there's a particular, there's a particular video where they get into the Psalms, and Bono, because I think Bono's talking about how it was his redoing of the Psalms that really spoke to him.
2: Right, but Bono acknowledged that one of the big pushes from Bono was that, like, because this is this idea but i mean o so when you study music musical history and i've only taken two musical history classes so don't i'm not an expert on the subject but you look back on time of music and what and it's just so funny when people are like this is worship no like this is not what the bible had intended like again there we know music to have this this meter and this and this and these rules that are applied to music today because of actually what happened in the late medieval period and eventually through uh the renaissance and there became lots of other music that was produced through that and music has then applied to those rules for the rest of time right from that point. So we really don't have a great understanding of what music was before then. But if you ever go somewhere where they're doing like a reenactment or something, we have guesses. And it's not pleasant. Like it's not – you would sit there and you'd be like, what the heck? Like this is music? Um, like if you listen to old ancient Gregorian chants because that was like one of the most ancient forms of music where there was uh, singing. This is the church singing initially. Yeah, And it's just church boys or or old men men
1: chanting chanting
2: um go watch a freaking uh monty python in the search for the Holy grail (laughs) where they were like whacking each other in the face of the planks um very similar and i mean like there's there's nice stuff in there but if you go further back you'll notice that it's really it's not great but we know that you know uh that david played the harp we know a lot of these types of things. and so there is some sort of musical quality, and David is believed to have written a lot of the Psalms, but you look at the Psalms, and they're not, they're not, God, you are good, you are good, you are good. A it's, lot of
1: them are. I would say the majority it's, of them are. Let me cut off the head of my enemy. Like, <laughs> well, and then there's not only in Psalm, but there's in Lamentations, there are yeah, songs laments. of la- Lament. And, again, and that's with- what Bono is criticizing of. Right. and he talks about the laments. Of, he talks about the laments of... And this is where MacArthur, I think, gets way over his skis and gets too absolutist, which a good Calvinist does, is he's like, no, they can only be good Christian music, can only be worshiping King Jesus and worshiping in his throne, and anything else is just useless. Tank. No. Sit down. And I disagree with him. Now, I agree that if everything is all, I feel sorry for myself, or too many lamentations just turn into self pity and navel gazing, and that's not helpful either. But you and I, you and I have had numerous discussions off air. With friends in m- multiple settings about how some of the most Christian music we find is, you t- is the lyrics in U2, which are literally taken from the Bible. Yeah, in some cases.
2: Yeah, I, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the hard part with this is when it comes to worship music and especially what's played on a Sunday in particular, and I'm going to talk about Sundays where we haven't even gotten to Spirit or Caleb or whatever it's called in your section of the woods. The issue that I have with what's played on Sunday morning is again, you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Church is still a facade. I'm talking about the big church. Um, It's a facade. Uh, And you are a. You are a customer that they are trying to pull in. Um, and so, why don't we play laments on Sunday mornings? Um, because it'd be too depressing. People wouldn't want to show up.
1: Well, I also don't think laments are... I think laments aren't meant for Sundays. I do agree that Sundays should be more for us being getting ourselves pointed to God and Jesus and tri- and... Conditioning ourselves for 10 minutes of his word is his word, whether we like it or not. And, you know, he is that kind of thing.
2: Sure. I don't know. I'm more of the type that's like, I think that you need to meet God where you are. And I don't think that it's always praise songs uh, on Sunday mornings that you because I think that there's a lot of times where people walk into church and they're very angry with God. And they need to let that out. Mm. They need to bring that before God, like 100%. Uh, I think that it's, it's healthy for you to sit there and, and, and say those things. Um, and, I, and not that we need that in, well, and I'm, but that's also, again, that whole product of what we are used to and what church is in the morning uh, on Sunday mornings because, again, they're trying to, believe it or not, they're selling you a product. You're a customer and this is the product that they are serving you. They want you to buy it. And I know that seems super cynical to say, but it, that's, that's what it is. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that is Why is it that Bethel and uh, Hillsong songs are the only songs that are sung on Sunday mornings across the United States? That's because they're the most popular ones on the charts every single week. Um, in the United States. They're, they're pop songs. They make you feel spiritually uplifted, whatever. And when you feel that, it, it, you feel a part of the the body, and there it is. If they sang those songs, you wouldn't want to be a part of the church. You'd be like, this is depressing. And you may not necessarily relate, but somebody does. Yeah. And that's not necessarily what church is supposed to be, but also this breathes into the whole idea of, and maybe we need to spend a podcast on this, where... Uh, And maybe we have talked about it a couple times, but maybe not in depth enough where Americans believe that happiness and joy should be the only thing
3: that we see. Not depressing,
2: sad things. Harsh reality. People want to escape reality. And that's actually what church does for you on a Sunday morning. You get to escape your bit of reality. You get to become a part of the, the body of Christ or whatever. You get to sing these songs of joy and praise. And you get to forget about life for a moment. And that's totally fine. Listen, it's I, therapeutic. I, I read fantasy books for that exact idea of just like, I don't <laughs> need reality. Right. So it's not, it's not far-fetched to sit there and say, again, I'm a patron of fantasy authors, just in the same way that a lot of you are patrons of, of churches. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, – and it's not to say that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not what is originally biblical. <laughs> so like any argument about what is biblically accurate, there's nothing that's technically biblically, biblically accurate about anything that we do today in the, in the modern-day church. I, if you don't sing at all in the modern-day church, that's probably the most biblical.
1: That's where MacArthur gets over skis is – he implies there's some sort of ground zero that we all need to go back to. And he's not clear about it, but it's very clear. He's right. not clear what that is. Well, he's not clear what it is. I know what it is because I've spent time in his church, so I know what he thinks ground zero is. And what he thinks ground zero is is the most nonsensical ground zero. You, it, it's, it's, it, it's just as wrong, quote-unquote, as he wants to lay it out to be as contemporary music. The music that he thinks is ground zero—it was contemporary, a century and a half ago. He just somehow thinks you know that's the end all be all. Yeah, I mean, so let me explain for people who are sitting around. What is it? What do you mean by it? You go to John MacArthur Church, it has a choir with a lot of people in it and a choir director, and they are all singing from an old timey hymnal singing. What are phenomenal songs in a hymnal, but that are written 100, 200, maybe 300 years ago. And they are all sung by a choir with maybe a little bit of music, uh, instrumentation. Yeah. And that's what he thinks is somehow biblical. When it's not, it's as it's a style that came out at some point within the last couple hundred years and stuck.
2: Yeah. I think that there are merits to uh, some of the old hymns. There's still merits to songs that are I am not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No,
1: I'm not saying to throw out the baby out no, with no, the no, bathwater. No, no, no.
2: I'm I'm giving am giving a like my opinion on it of music that's created today where I'm saying it does But I mean like it's the same with any music any musical genre is there's a lot of crap out there. Sure, there's a lot of crap in the music industry, and there are gems that can be found, and so go and find those pockets of gems of lyrical pieces that are that are well done, um, that are phenomenal. Um, even I, I went to Hume Lake couple years ago and i listened to a christian song i don't listen to the christian radio and we'll get into that in a minute um but i heard a i heard a christian song while we were there and they sang it for pretty much every single service and i was excited every single time that that song came on because i was like this one's good i was like this one's good i feel this one um and yeah, I remember. And it wasn't even like, again, it's not about that necessarily emotional attachment, but the lyrics and the things that it was speaking about was just like, mm, I feel that. Right? Like, that's, it's one of those moments where when you listen to what we're talking about with you two, and you, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you're like, mm, I feel that one by you two. You're like, yeah. mm, that one hits home. You know? Uh, Those are, those are the things, streets of no name, you know, like those are the things that you take with you where you're just like those lyrics speak to you, the music speaks to you, and you get it. Again, I'm not, not acknowledging that that doesn't exist, and that can definitely happen with Christian music today, but again, it does feel like you have to go through a lot more crap, (laughs) um, today, nowadays, um, and what's crazy is that there are people out there, there are plenty of people out there in the, in the music industry and people that are a part of worship ministries that view what we say is crap as gold. They are like, this is awesome. And so I don't want to discredit your opinion necessarily. I'm just saying that I think that MacArthur has a right to criticize and say that there are those out there that are very cheap you, your pop songs. You've created pop songs because they are easy, they're quick, they're popular real fast, and that's all that we need. And again, you're pushing towards consumption. This mass marketing of the song for consumption. Um and if you don't think that the if you don't think that the Christian music industry like Oh, you and I have had this discussion.
1: The, the Nashville, as as if you're a consumer of country music, and understand that there's been a long uh, love hate relationship with Nashville within Christian music, within country music. The same can be said with Christian music. It has, uh, in a lot, in many ways, ruined it. But you could say that. <laughs> Christianity in general has a large uh, intellectual property industrial complex that is gross and disgusting, which, again, MacArthur does criticize, and he's correct to criticize it. Absolutely, There are people who, there are charlatans who make money on shitty books uh-huh. and videos and entire platforms of crap that they're creating, that they're taking a lot of money from people.
2: I'm so close to saying it.
1: But that is just a problem of modern society dealing with new technology. But Christian music is certainly in, in that vein of just there's a lot of crap being created, and I you know I would say a lot of contemporary music would be better off updating their melody and their the the. Number of people singing the song, so rather than a choir, a couple, one or two people, and the instruments, and ripping off old school songs that have already been written 200 years ago, or just pulling straight out of the Bible. Which, again, there's a lot of songs Bono's just literally ripped off a a Bible verse, sure. And every time he does it, I know which one he's done it, and it resonates with me because it's one genius. And two, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, he just snuck it past you.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's two things that I wanted to talk about about what you just said. Um, one is, I think that there was a really good analogy that you made between Christianity and uh, Nashville. Um, where again, you kind of have these oldies where it's like, you know, it's, it's the Opry or nothing um kind of idea and and you have to sit there and you have to say well that's it that just doesn't work and so if you're saying it's the opera or nothing if you are making this analogy back to the church you're the people that are like it's the hymns or nothing yeah it's the hymnal or nothing you know music just ain't what it what it used to be um that's not helpful that's not good either um music can evolve and it can be beautiful um amazing and be just as spiritually invoking um i kind of got uh an awesome opportunity to grow up in the late 90s uh to early thousands and get to experience um, especially with my dad being a youth pastor all of the really cool music that was actually coming out where people would write occasional songs on their on their pop punk playlists or on their uh, albums that they were creating where they were able to come up with songs that, again, use verses and and show their faith um, through that. Um, it's always been great. Like I said, um, my, U2 was phenomenal for doing this. Um, where And this is where, where my second thing that I want to talk about where it almost has more power to it. If you hear somebody that is classified, not necessarily they've put themselves there, but they are classified as a secular artist to put together a Christian song or this song that that talks about faith. And if you know their backstory and you know the whole stuff, it just adds so much more meaning and so much more power behind what it Absolutely. is that they're singing. Um, because you know that it's not this just cheap thing that's supposed to be played on a Sunday morning. It's something that is genuine and from their hearts and that they're sneaking in to the masses of followers that they have and it's just it's a really cool moment so that's why like we talk about youtube um one of my favorites growing up was i loved reliant k um they're a little bit more blatant and in your face with their um with their christianity and they were also considered like this christian band but uh if you grew up um, in the early thousands, you may have listened to Reliant K on a regular basis and you wouldn't have known that they were actually a Christian man. A lot of people don't, um, that aren't associated with the church. Anybody that's associated with the church for the longest time knew that Reliant K was a Christian man, but there's people that know him. You could play, you know, some of their more secular songs like Sonny uh, with the High of 75 um, or um, Sadie Hawkins Dance and people know those songs. They're like, oh yeah, I love this song. And it's like, that's really funny. Um, and you ask them if they've listened to other things, they're like, oh, yeah, I listened to this one and this one. It's like, sweet, did you know that those are Christian songs? Yeah. Um, and it's just a really fun conversation to have with those people, and you're just like, yeah. Um,
1: Jars of Clay started that way. Jars of yeah, Clay Jars just started Clay. as just Funnel. a band. That I, saw, I saw Jars of Clay when their uh, debut album came out. I got to go up and see them with a friend of mine up in Santa Barbara, uh, and they were being played on K-Rock, which is this iconic radio station in Los Angeles that broke everyone from like uh Van Halen to uh No Doubt, you name it. They broke they they were the ones that played them on the radio first and they had Jars of play playing for like three, four months. Yeah. And no one knew that Flood was this by this Christian band because they weren't advertising themselves as a Christian band. It was just a couple guys who were Christians playing that way. Right.
2: See, that's my Opry, honestly. <laughs> no, saying. exactly. I'm like, I like mine's like, can we just go back to that? That's. <laughs> I only want to go back like fifteen years. I'm not asking for like a hundred. Um, because oh, well, and one of my favorites growing up, and to this day, I still think that he's a phenomenal songwriter, and I think that he does phenomenal worship music because he did. He wanted to be a great songwriter, and he wanted to be. He was honestly just a worship pastor. That's all he wanted to be. Um. And so he got his band together, and he did a bunch of funny music videos, and but his worship music was all Bible centric. So a lot of his stuff takes from the Psalms and that kind of stuff. And it's David Crowder.
1: Oh, Crowder's my favorite. Oh, it's
2: so good because <laughs> it's
1: every time. It, see, see, Crowder is the is the anti. He's the silver bullet against the MacArthur argument because
2: he straight up pulls from the Psalms. He straight up pulls like from time.
1: everything is straight from the Bible, and he's not. He's not, you can't even pigeonhole him music wise. He'll do like, he'll, he does different kinds of genres of music. He'll do like straight up country and bluegrass bluegrass and then rock. Yeah. And so (laughs) he's, he's the one who says it doesn't matter what style of music you're playing. That's, 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 that doesn't matter. It's, it's, again, where MacArthur's correct is the depth.
2: And he puts on a hell of a show. And he puts on a hell of a show.
1: (laughs) Is the depth of the lyric behind it. And a lot of the stuff that is out there is just bubblegum Christian pop.
2: Right. Right. And like I said, there's, there are, there are diamonds in that rough. You know, there are, there are good songs in there where you're going to feel emotionally attached and that kind of stuff. That's really awesome. I don't think that music should necessarily, and especially on a church service, um, uh, we were talking about it like last week, actually. Um, I think on Friday. We were talking about some people that had an opinion about one of our friends. He's extremely talented with a guitar. Um, And when you hear him play that guitar, it's phenomenal. Um, It's amazing to see. You would sit there and you would say, that guy has a gift. and he plays it on Sundays and people have walked out of the church because he's playing an electric guitar on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And ripping a solo. But yet if you ask that guy about it, he's like it's not about me. Like it's just it's just a moment in the song and and it feels right and that's and that's what we're doing. We're we're sitting here and we're praising the Lord.
1: Well, that gets back to the... Let's get back to dumping on MacArthur.
2: Yeah. Fuck you, (laughs) MacArthur.
1: Because he says it makes... He's talking about contemporary music now. It makes the public proclaimers of Christianity those who are popular and talented in the world's world's eyes rather than those who are godly and gifted teachers of God's truth. In using the world's genre of music... Sounds like he's freaking jealous. it, It gets even worse. In using the world's genre of music, it blurs the gap between worldly satanic values and divine ones. I'm sorry. What an ass! I know, I'm sorry, but choir singing at some point was, quote-unquote, worldly music, J-Mac. <laughs> That's the problem. You, 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 you delude yourself into thinking that choir music is specifically, like, not of the world. Where I'm, you know, classical music is both amazing in terms of Mozart and Beethoven, Beethoven and Bach in particular, because uh, of of bringing out of being both quote unquote popular music because it was popular music at the time, but also being inspiring and God worshiping in a lot of that music. Um. It is not the style of music that matters. It's not because something's, something is worldly. Beer. It's the best damn drink in the world.
2: Well, um, I'm poor. I had to go out and grab a beer. Uh, we're doing a, a repeat beer tonight. It's the Society Moonlight Black IPA uh, collab. It's phenomenal. We've had it before. We love it.
1: I still want to call it Societe.
2: Yeah. I don't believe it. I, I don't think anybody would blame you.
1: Society. So yeah, the style of music look my grandparents on my father's side ran a little tiny little tiny old timey Pentecostal church on the north side of Bakersfield. It was little country church, straight up. And they played <laughs> they played what for their worship music they sang old hymns but they had a slide guitar it was basically uh buck owens was up there playing uh, playing <laughs> the amazing grace guitar. yeah hell yeah <laughs> it doesn't the style of music because it's quote unquote worldly music doesn't matter some of the biggest pretentious douchebags i have ever come across in christianity are choir leaders
2: um as uh, so the friend that we have uh, used to be a big, um, or used to be involved with a, a very prominent church, um, a huge mega church in California, and um, they would throw concerts um, for a lot of these Christian leaders, and one of the, he said, one of the biggest douchebags that he ever met was the Newsboys. Um, <laughs> He's like, 100% of
1: those guys are assholes. Yeah, so look, cont- I agree with him that contemporary music, not because of the style of music, but because it becomes a concert, the risk that you run is is we're we're less engaged in the music and we're just watching someone, and so we're not actually praising or actually you know doing what we're supposed to do with, with Christian music. But again, that can happen with... Uh, with hymns or with a choir singing, people can get just as over their skis into thinking they're what they're the the reason why people are tuning in and singing along in their hymnal or whatever and so that's not the point the point is it's just people being people and doing the wrong thing um let's see what else is i disagree with what he said yeah, it's not satanic because you're doing Christian music to country music style, which right. is what 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 he says. Um He does, you know, when he says it leads to the propagation of bad or weak theology and drags the Lord, the Lord, the name of the Lord down to the level of the world. Yeah, I, I totally get that, but we've we've addressed that. That's just a weakness in <laughs> problem okay the problem with John MacArthur and John MacArthur types is their understanding of the music they enjoy has has been well before they came on the scene as a pastor and well before frankly his daddy and his granddaddy became pastors the music that they see as canon weeded out all of the garbage that didn't make it into a hymnal. Yeah. He acts as if there was this moment in history from about, I don't know, 1720 until the 1800s, where everyone's just ripping off gems that somehow made it into a 400-page hymnal, and that's all that got existed. When... (laughs) I'm sure there was just as much superficial crap that people were singing in churches that eventually got weeded out as like, yeah, it's not really what is the best stuff. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: And if you judge the 20th century and the 21st century, 200 years from now, and collect the best of the best, you're going to find that it is probably is up there with what we what one would read out of a hymnal page 400 yeah i mean uh, you you cited bethel and hillsong there's a lot of crap both of those bands put out there's a lot of gems anytime i hear oceans being played i love oceans it's a good one um There's a video on YouTube you can see. This is not related. It just popped in my head. There's a video you can find on YouTube. I think it's from the October Sky tour of... No, it's later than that. It's actually much later than that. Anyway, where... Leads the entire crowd into singing 40. If you're not aware of that song, it's literally song 40. He just takes the lyrics from song 40, puts it to a, I wouldn't say catchy tune, it's a moving melody, and he just how, sings it over and over again. Do you
2: know the story of 40? No, I don't. Uh, it's off of their first album.
1: I know it's off of their first album. Quite aware of
2: that. It's the rec- it's the rest of the recording time. That's all it is.
1: Oh, it's just to fill in.
2: They were like, well, we got Well, it's now- become and a mainstay. It's just, it's just him and the Edge, and that's why it's always just him. It's always just edge, him and the Edge. Because it was just him and the Edge, and they just recorded whatever was left. And they don't always play it anymore. It they don't to be always play a it a staple it did at every concert they would play They 40. played
1: it when I saw them on the 360 tour in Vegas. There's there's also another there's a video. I don't know if it's the official 360. I think it's the Rose Bowl 360, one of the Rose Bowl's 360 concerts where they sing 40 and then go, the, just the two of them go straight into Amazing Grace. Yes, I've seen and that. it. And it, you get chills, the hair, it, it is amazing. And I, I don't know, maybe to MacArthur's point, but I guess I would counter to MacArthur. You have an entire. Ninety thousand group of probably no, probably a hundred thousand people singing Amazing Grace. Do a lot of them know what they're singing? No, but it's still I find it a phenomenal moment. And speaking of Amazing Grace, it is not what. That's not a particularly like praiseworthy song. It's it's actually the the most famous song in Christendom, is the loathing. <laughs> It's so Woe much. is me song right. that a lot of people criticize, and yet it's the most. And I think people who criticize those songs probably love it too. They just don't stop to think of, yeah, it's me. It's it's a lamentation. It, it's that, a, I am a terrible person. I was gonna
2: make the I was gonna make the claim earlier about it being a lament that it's it's legitimately I I fucked up.
1: Oh, if you know anything about the guy, the guy who wrote it yeah. was a slave trader.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't even say that this like if you've ever seen the movie because it was a movie that came out like what in like two thousand. Amazing
1: Grace, f- I enjoyed that movie. Five or six. Yeah, yeah, I was
2: like, it's not like it's a Christian movie at the end of the day. So it's like, a
1: Christian movie at the end of the day, but it's got. Don't be
2: expecting awesome. But it's
1: not. It but it has non-Christian. It has very famous actors playing in it.
2: Yeah, it's it's good. It's worth it's worth a watch if you have any ties to that song or or anything like that. I'd highly recommend watching.
1: Yeah, the actor whose name I should remember,
2: and it's a really amazing <laughs> story.
1: It, uh, it's an amazing story, and he there's a there's a scene between, uh, what's his name who leads the anti-slavery movement in the UK, and this guy, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, and game and names are escaping me tonight. Thank you, Brett IPA, uh, where he laments. I, I think he's in the middle of writing the song, and he says, I see all of these dead people in my dreams, and my I can't, they don't ever go away. Yeah. And that's what he's seeing as he's writing this, is he is dealing with the unbelievable fact that he's being forgiven for what he sees as unforgivable sins.
2: Yeah, and then there was another one uh wasn't there another movie about the guy who uh survived like the chicago fires is like um yeah oh what's that him um no i can't it's like golly i'm gonna think of this sorry continue
1: like, uh okay um it is well with oh my soul. it is well with yeah. my soul that's yeah. a great one yeah phenomenal the guy it you're... is well <laughs> it is well with my soul um right again that's
2: not a that's not a happy song no <laughs> And so there is merit in sitting there and saying very similarly to what MacArthur is saying, because it does seem like right now a lot of the stuff is about just praise. And yes, that is kind of artificial, it feels like, right, where it's.
1: Well, I would say he he thinks I would. I think he would say it should all be about praise. It's just it's really lousy versions of praise music. Sure. It's it's deceptive praise music where we're all telling each other we're supposed to be praising God, but it's really supposed to make me, it's making me feel good because we're praising God. And I, again, I think there is some merit to that. Some of the stuff that's sung on Sunday is just real, really more about us all patting ourselves on the back because we're here on a Sunday praising God, and it's not true worship. It's just, uh,
3: yeah. So
1: if you are listening to this and you're wondering, uh, Colton and I both, well, I'll let Colton speak for himself, but I think I know the answer to this question because we've done <laughs> so. I do think U2 is the greatest Christian <laughs> uh, rock band of all time, which might not mean anything because you might say, well, there's no such thing as a Christian rock band. But, uh, And my favorite song by them is Love Rescue Me off the Rattle and Hum album because it is a... Complete Christian song in from beginning to end.
2: Tim's also a liar. His favorite song is "Bad Live" <laughs> off of the Rattle and Hum live album. Uh,
1: no, you are oh. cor- you know you are correct that I am a liar. Uh, Love Rescue Me is my second favorite song, but the "Bad Live" is <laughs> not on Rattle and Hum. It's off of. It's Rattle and Hum Live. No, it's not from Rattle and Hum. There is. There is a version of "Rattle and Hum" on the on the movie in the movie "Rattle and Hum." It is not on the album. the 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 best version of "Rattle and Hum" is not from "October Sky." It's from what album is that? Andy, super super listener. Andy is probably listening to this right now. I stand
2: corrected. It's not on "Rattle
1: and Hum." And yelling at the. At his whatever listening device and saying it's this album, it's this album because it is also his favorite song. And why is it's from uh... "Wide Awake in America"? Yes, it's "Wide Awake in America." Uh, that is the best version, and that is my favorite song. And that song is a very sad song about someone who has a friend who's going through a drug addiction or some kind of an addiction. And it's always been assumed that it's the basis Adam Clayton. Because Adam has had drug addiction problems his entire life.
2: My favorite U2 song is One. Um always has been. Um, so, uh, also,
1: the genius of U2 is, and this is where MacArthur would would criticize, be critical of him. He would say, "There's no place for this in in music," and I disagree. I I, I appreciate the genius one can listen to a song and think they are just listening to one more pop love song and Bono is able to pull off intertwining. I would argue both. He's going in between, uh, Relational, like person to person love and speaking about God at the same time. Right, the heart. There's a song, Grace, off of one of the later albums, and it's literally the same thing. He's talking about both a girl named Grace and the concept of Grace and how both shattered this guy's world.
0: Grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame, removes the stain, it could be her name, Grace, it's a name for a girl, it's also a thought.
1: It's amazing,
2: and I mean, like, this is the importance of context. Where if you know Bono's backstory, you know the band's backstory, even if you went to something a little bit more political that they've made, right? Yeah, if you listen to Sunday Bloody Sunday and you know what that means, and you listen to that story, it means so much more to them, right? And then if somebody were to write it from, I we have a Sunday Bloody Sunday in the United States. Um, And Bono wasn't talking about that one, if you're thinking that he was. He does make reference to Martin Luther King in some of his lives. Yeah, but he's talking about the Irish. But he's talking about the Irish one. Um, And so understanding that gives you complete context, and you're like, wow, this means something. Again, these guys were... Bono and U2 were a band that was out there. You have to view them in the same way that you may view Rage Against the Machine. Or some of these other bands that are, uh, you know, uh, uh, public enemy, right? Like, this is that kind of idea where it is, we're out here to send a message. Yeah, Everything that we write has a message to it. And one of the messages that Bono has preached over and over and over again is the message of love and hope. And where he references a lot of that from is from Jesus Christ. Um. And so there are people that hold strongly to those lyrics and they don't know necessarily what they mean, but they feel them in their soul and they're like, "Yes, this is what we need." But yet they don't even know that what they're siding with is the mission and vision that has been cast by Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why you and I and I'm going to speak for super listener Andy, that's why we love them <laughs> oh, is Oh,
2: Andy's going to be pissed. When if <laughs> we're speaking for him
1: is if you U2 is very accessible if you put no work into it. They put they put together catchy lyrics and catchy tunes on a superficial level. But if you d- do some digging and understand who they are or if you're a Christian and you know <laughs> you're an insider in the the joke so to speak, there's there are layers upon layers upon layers in the music and that's why you know, maybe incorrectly, but I don't think so. You and I appreciate that more than the standard, you know, Kari Job song. That's fine if you listen to that when you're getting, like my wife listens to uh, Christian radio, Christian music every morning when she goes, when she gets up and when she goes to work. She finds a lot out of it. That's fine. I'm not, I stay out of my way to say, oh, that music sucks. It's, it's just bubble gum. If, if it speaks to you, that's fine. But I much more appreciate the stuff that you have to dig down. That's got a lot of profoundness. If you and it, I, understandably, you have to know your Bible in a lot of instances where you get what Bono's referencing. Yes. And the older I get, the more the more I appreciate how Bono really knows his Bible and his. Pulling out things that you wouldn't think would work in a song that he pulls out and puts into a song that just drops out of nowhere, even if it's not like he's telling a message, just like, oh, that's a really great passage from this bit of scripture and I'm going to drop it in. And If you know it, you're like, oh, that's pretty clever.
2: i i think that they are something special um like i said one is my favorite i think uh tim talked about bad uh and uh what was the first one that you said i can't i'm sorry love was, rescue me which I is just, very i was focusing on just like disparate the second you didn't say bad i was like you're a liar um uh, <laughs> uh, I say that a close second. It's actually a sleeper pick, um, but I say it's a sleeper pick, but they do have a residency in uh, Las Vegas based off of the reunion of this tour, and it's off of the Zuropa album. Yes, that's all they're doing. Yes, and I am a big fan, a huge fan uh, for the First Time, um, which I feel like is a huge sleeper pick. Uh, but it's a, it's a very slow song, but also extremely has Christian undertones the entire time.
0: My father is a rich man, he wears a rich man's cloak. Gave me the keys to his kingdom coming Gave me a cup of gold He said, I have many mansions And there are many rooms to save But I left by the back door And I threw away the key
2: and I, threw away the key. I actually used it for an anti-bully uh, video uh, that I had to make for our ASB program um, when I was in high school, and it blew up at our school. Like everybody was like putting it on stuff um, and that kind of stuff, and nobody knew <laughs> at all like about what the message was behind it. But they were just like, "Damn, this song's like good." Like it's, and I was like, "Yeah, it is." Um, and I didn't say anything, but I got away with it, I guess. So.
1: When that was what song? Uh,
2: the for the first time.
1: Oh, for the yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's super slow for anybody. That it is, it. but it, it's classic Bono of just it, where he just kind of works into it. It's uh, it, uh, it's very similar to um. It's not. It's not where the streets have no name. It's um.
3: It's with or without you.
2: Um, as far as the way the music progresses, is that it it slowly builds and then dies down. With or without you, phenomenal. Another great song that has meanings behind it as well. So,
1: yeah the uh, the lyric from it's just the YouTube
2: podcast Yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> Maybe
1: our ratings will finally go up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, so, freaking, uh,
2: maybe, maybe freaking uh, uh, Gilbert will be able to make it through this
1: sense. Yeah, like, oh yeah <laughs> uh, Yeah, so the lyric from Love Rescue Me There's two parts of it that kill me It's And they're, the first part straight out of the Bible Yeah, uh, gay though I walk in the valley of the shadow Yet I fear no evil I have cur- the, cursed thy rod and staff They no longer comfort me, love rescue me And then the song ends with, I've conquered my past. The future is here at last. I stand at the entrance of a new world I can see. The ruins to the right of me will soon have lost sight of me. Love, rescue me. That's just the gospel, right in one verse. T- nice, tidy verse. It ah, uh.
2: it's phenomenal. And it what's crazy is that they used to just be a garage band in Ireland. Like, uh, they're, they're they most- were a,
1: gar- a garage band who hated prog rock, and there was some other one because I've heard The Edge like, yeah, we just we hated the. Uh, the self-indulgence, pretentiousness of of prog rock and the, some other genre, which I enjoy, but I understand what they're talking about. You know, like this eight-minute song where there's like two guitar solos and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, no, we just, wanna, just we just want to do rock and roll.
2: They're just hating on Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I think Blue Oyster Cult.
2: And if you ever watch uh, interviews with Bono, he's. <laughs> Yeah, Bono has a facade of his own, but uh, something that's, that can never be said about him is that he's never not genuine. Um, I mean, you could say it about him, but if you know his backstory and you know how much he gives and how much he works um, for, um, for for the anti-AIDS
1: organization... Oh, he and, George, he and President Bush are solely responsible for... Uh, tamping down AIDS and HIV in Africa. No no doubt about it. He is,
2: and always again, he wants to use his platform as an avenue to show love and care and also speak out against oppression on a regular basis. Um, and so what's hard is that when we sit here and we talk about Bono is that there may be some of you out there that that feel alienated by that. I don't know if a lot it's, it's hard now because a lot of people that we are, we are so removed from the eighties at this point, you know, and maybe those of you that listen to this are sitting there and you're like, maybe you were pro bono in the eighties and that kind of stuff. Um, But he was, like I said, it's, it's almost rage against the machine esque.
1: Oh, I had friends who, because all my friends were conservative, who were put off by U2 and Bono because of its pro South Africa, yeah, anti anti pro anti South pro Bishop Tutu anti South Africa, very adamant about it, and even a lot of their Irish stuff because if you were conservative, you grew up in the. 70s and 80s you grew up with this anti-ira which was justified because it was a terrorist organization but you just had this reflexive anti-ireland pro probably uh england northern ireland protestant view and he was antithetical to that but that's what that's what's the genius of that's where i think bono in a lot of ways has been and shouldn't be criticized by the MacArthur's of the world, just putting aside the music. Because Bono has been... hes He has always worn his Christianity on his sleeve. He's never hidden from it. He's been adamant about it. He will speak about it. He doesn't have to be asked about it in uh a, a interview. He'll talk about it. Uh, we quoted him within the last couple episodes about him basically... Uh, regurgitating uh, C.S. Lewis and saying you either believe Jesus was a lunatic or you believe that Jesus, Jesus was the son of man who rose, died and rose three days later. There's no in between. There's no like Gandhi view of him as he was a really cl- or, or Muslim view that he was like this clever prophet that we're, right. we're all going to listen to who said nice right. things. He was either crazy or not. But as I mentioned before, he teamed up with George W. Bush and Laura Bush to tackle AIDS in Africa. And you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? This is in the midst of the war on terror. George Bush has started two wars, whether you agree or disagree with those wars. The man has started two wars. U2 has been anti-war their entire lives. And Bono see, Bono sees the forest through the trees and says, "We might not disagree on everything, Mr. President, but this issue we do, and we're going to pair together. And like I said, I I visited Africa twice. I can see I've seen on the ground how important that is. I have been with people who have gotten HIV and AIDS." it is fund what they did in the 80s in the, in in the 2000s was fundamentally transformative in africa and he did it with somebody that on one side of the aisle would have said that guy's a warmonger you can't work with him right and on george bush's side you can't work with him he's a crazy rock and roll guy who's you know he's anti crazy, crazy activist right and what really brought them together i imagine was their their shared faith and they said for jesus and our love for people, we need to do this
2: right. And again, it's about that love for people. And actually, this is where I think it's it's a good segue, and why we give so much praise to you too, because we've been on this. I, it, <laughs> we talked about that we can really go on tangents, um, and I think we're just we're just not even going to get into the second topic tonight. I think that what we're dealing with.
3: And why it's so powerful is when we look at Christian music today and that's being produced,
2: it's almost this idea of, you know, and I mean, like, we recognize our faults. We recognize his glory, um, and to which we do need to do. We do need to recognize that, and again, uh, Lewis kind of outlined it for us. That there is this: no matter how much we try to make God personal, we still need to recognize that there is. When we look at the the Trinity, that there is still that being that is omnipotent and omnipresent, and that is significantly powerful, significantly more powerful over us being out there. That we are small; they are big. Um, we have to sit there and be like the prophet Isaiah and recognize his power and his ability. We need to do that. Um, and so there's not problems in that. But what Bono is doing is actually something that MacArthur kind of spoke out against, is this kind of evangelism.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because that, that's another area where I disagree with MacArthur
2: is and and it's this idea of he talks about what what Bono is talking about is the the transformation of the heart of everyone when he sings about love and it's what we need we know the love that he is speaking about but also maybe those that are listening to him that are not they're like yeah love is something that i need in my life yeah and where do I get it? Where do I get it from? And he's like, well, you got to give it, and those types of things. Um, and, and he sends these messages out. And again, it's, it's almost a form of evangelism, not where he's beating somebody over the head with a Bible, but again, spreading this message of love and caring for your neighbor in the same way that Jesus asks us all to do. And he's using his platform to do it to where people are doing it without even recognizing that they're following a model that has been set by Jesus Christ. Um and that's really an awesome amazing thing. It's not something that necessarily needs to play on a Sunday morning. I would love it if they played it on a Sunday morning. Oh, you I talked about that about I'd actually this. sing and like clap. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I'm not going to say what I do on a Sunday morning, but um
1: <laughs> Hands in pockets. No,
2: I show up fifteen minutes later <laughs> I show up for the sermon only. It drives my wife insane. My wife loves worship music. Just so
1: we're no, so you're self-centered. So you don't, you don't do it. You don't meet the needs of your wife.
2: I think I think she's just used to like <laughs> leaving at ten a.m. Now she's just like she's just like oh it's ten a.m. It's time to go. to Time church. to go. Even though that's when church starts, yeah. Like by the time we get over there, it's ten fifteen and worship has ended. So literally, we show up right when the video announcements start every single like Sunday. We're there like right there <laughs> at that time. Uh, like we hear it on the loudspeaker, and it does drive my wife insane. She's like, "I love the music," and I'm like, "That's great." But, like, she doesn't get ready in time. Like, she gets... (laughs) She is ready to go at 10 a.m. every single time. I was like... Just so we're clear, for anybody that's going to sit there and say anything, for about a month last... This last month, the second I would wake up, because I knew how badly my wife has made it... I'm usually the type that's like, in, like, church, like, okay, like, we can go, we can not go. You know, it's been rough since i I left the church but I'm like I could take it or leave it um going to church on a Sunday morning but I know that it's extremely important to my wife and so I want to be there and I want to be and I need to make it an example especially um I think this is the first time I'm going to say it on the podcast but we've got a kid on the way and so we're uh we're anticipating that and so like yes I, it is something that is important to me um and and so it's something that I need to make sure that I get back in the habit of going and doing um but I wake up at, you know, seven a.m. on a Sunday, and uh, and I get dressed. I get I do all of my stuff. I brush my teeth. I put pomade in my hair. <laughs> the only thing that I need because I wear I'm the guy that wears Hawaiian shirts and flip flops or and shorts and flip flops to church. So if you hate me for that, I I understand. There's half
1: the people at our church, so
2: yeah. I was like, that's that's what I wear to church on a Sunday. So I toss all that on. I'm good to go. And then I go and read a book or play video games for the next couple of hours and wait for my wife to tell me that she's ready to go. (laughs) And it's not until 10 a.m. like on the dot every single time. She's like, okay, we're ready to go. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) like, got it. (laughs) So I'm just saying. She's, yeah, so, but it's funny. Um, All that to say is that on Sunday mornings, if the if worship was different maybe like maybe that was something that I could get involved in
1: is the problem that the worship music and well this is where MacArthur would be he would say this is the way it should be and there he might be right.
3: I think the
1: problem that you and i the the reason why we like you two is even though we are quote-unquote the choir we like you too because it's not preaching to the choir whereas quote-unquote christian music is preaching to the choir and we don't get as much out of it
2: i don't know i say that the reason why i don't like christian music is that i think that i think of it in the same way that i don't like pop music i think that pop music is really good for dancing in the clubs or whatever but if I'm driving in my car, I'm not listening to it.
0: Yes, okay.
2: And so I view that Christian music for the most part, and again, like I said before and said a couple of times tonight, is that there are diamonds in the rough, where occasionally you get one and you're just like, like you said, it's oceans. For me, the one that I was talking about at Human Lake was, uh, uh, So Will I. mm I like those songs Um, and they just are like they hit home um, for whatever variety of reasons and occasionally you find those but other times it's just you're weeding through just stuff where it's like this seems fake this seems false there's one right now that says oh do I do this all for hype or whatever um, all to lift you high, and like the lyrics are just like, come on, like a five-year-old could have wrote that. You know, uh, one of my freshmen in high school could have wrote that those lyrics. <laughs> like, it's it. It just seems like you could put a catchy tune.
1: All right, let's continue our little criticism because, just if again, if you're listening to Christian music and you don't want us ruining it, then. Turn off the podcast, I guess, or just listen to it. You know,
2: are you gonna? Well,
1: one of my problems is
3: everything is derivative of something else.
1: So, should I mention names? Because I don't think I should, because then I might ruin it for somebody who likes this person. But there are. I won't do it because I don't want to be like they're going to be like, oh, no, I can't listen to them because now I'm just thinking what we there. But there are probably 10 of the top, of the most of the top bands that or people, whatever, acts that are singing that you're going to hear played on Love K-Dove, Spirit, Air One, whatever. Is so we're being talking like
2: Rebecca St. James we're talking
1: <laughs> i don't want to get into names because particularly <laughs> cool. so my wife listens i can say james so my wife listens to this and she might be really they are literally rip-offs of a uh their sound in how they s- and how they sing is literally a rip- I can tell you oh that's the christian version of this secular artist yeah, yeah. and it is and that's that's the Nashvilleization of Christian music where someone's like, "Oh, we need our own Adele or we need our own whatever." And then they go out and find that and then that's what it is. And a lot of people so I think subliminally lap it up because it's like they don't not really understanding that person's just ripping off somebody else. And it's not to say that person's not talented, but they are ripping off someone else that is established in the secular world and it I could right away I'm like, "Oh, that's the Christian Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah. Originality is not
2: there um in in Christian music. And I and on a Sunday morning um if you go to a mega church uh it's just always hard there's again there's this whole presentation element that kind of goes along with it where again it's this concert type setting and it's frustrating. I When you look at the when you look at the worship music and you see what they're replicating again it's it's not original. That's it's just a huge problem that you have and again it seems if you've listened to one Christian song, it feels like you've listened to them all. Yeah. And, and, but that's pop songs. Just so we're clear. That's why they talk about the four chords. And that's why if you ask anybody that plays guitar for a Christian band, you'll be like, Hey man, you're doing such great work up there. You must be working really hard. And they'll tell you, well, I'm really not. I'm only playing four chords the entire time. Yeah. Because it's just a pop hit. Every single time. And that's fine. Like I said, it's. There's people that get emotionally involved. They. Maybe the lyrics speak to them or whatever. That's okay. Cardi B lyrics speak to people. Okay. (laughs) Good Lord. You know, I. Okay. I'll give you that. I'm glad that you're a part of this and you feel a part of the a part of what's going on at a church and that kind of stuff. And so I think that there's merit to that, but at the same time, I I think there is, we have to revisit that idea from MacArthur that there is a word, a word of warning. I think it was really funny when I was working at a church um, or working at the church that we came from, uh, our, our youth pastor, our high school youth pastor at the time, when I was the junior high director, he uh, pointed something out to me, and he's now one of the, uh, the teaching pastors at the church that we go to now. Um, he pointed something out to me about a particular song, and I, I've never forgotten it to this day. I can't unsee it. Uh, and it's the song where they talk about, uh, I don't even know, oh, We Receive Your Rain is what the name of the song is. Um, one, I didn't really care for that song in the first place, so... It, right. I brought it up this last weekend because two pe- the two people that were staying at my house this last weekend were both... One is a worship pastor, and then her husband helps her out, and he's, again, this guy that kind of has a gift uh, with a guitar. Um, and uh, I brought it up. I was like, yeah, that song is like... That song's dirty. And she's like, what? That song's not dirty? I love that song. And I was like, it says, we receive your rain, and then you sing... For several different ver- like several different times, you sit there and say, "When he comes like a flood, we receive your love. When he comes, when he comes like a flood, oh my we receive gosh. your love. When he comes, and like it's just like uh, the high school pastor like pointed that out to me, and I was like, oh my gosh." I mean, like you feel like a junior high kid, but at the same time you're like, come on, bro, like you run this by a ninth grader and mm. see if they like giggle the whole time and then be like, All right, we can't do this song.
1: It wouldn't pass the Beavis and Butthead test.
2: Dolly, I chuckle every single time I do that. <laughs> I freaking do <laughs>
1: So, okay, let's stay let's stay focused on the church part of this. Okay. Because you you alluded to it. Way back at the beginning of the podcast, um, problems that are created within the church because of music. MacArthur actually talks about it. And again, he makes a good point, but then he gets way over his skis in his absolutism. Uh, He says, uh, when he's talking about contemporary music, it creates a wide generation gap in the church, thus contributing to the disunity and lack of intimacy in the fellowship of all believers. Now, one, he is correct. That does get created. Yes. Uh, Colton and I can both attest to that. That happened at the previous church we were at. The The great music wars uh, went on for many, many years. They might still be going on. It happens at a lot of churches where music is, for some reason, a bone of contention.
2: Yeah.
1: If you are leaving, if you are... If you're listening to this and you're looking for the right church because of the music, stop. I'm telling you right now, stop. That is not at all a good reason to find a church. There are many more important things of that. And if you've been in a church for a long time and somebody comes in and starts doing music that you're not a big fan of and you want to leave, that, again, is a terrible reason for leaving the church. I have sat in many services where I've been bored to tears because of the worship. It doesn't matter. That's not the reason why I'm there on a Sunday. As a friend, mutual friend of Colton and I once said, uh, if you don't like the music being played on Sunday, there are six other days of the week for you to find the style of Christian music that you like and worship that way. So do not leave. For that reason, do, don't uh contribute to a great music war within your church because you don't like the style of music being played. Where again I disagree with MacArthur is he's speaking from a world that does not exist any anymore. He's hearkening back to an age where the culture was monolithic or maybe bipolar, but there weren't that many choices. I'm speaking of the fifties. You pretty much had what MacArthur, the milieu MacArthur grew up in, which would be a choir and corporate worship singing from a hymnal and maybe country or what we might call folk music in a small church. Those are the two types of music you're talking about. That world doesn't exist anymore. Like everything else in our culture, we now live in a fractured culture And that includes within Christian music. So this world that he, I agree with him that Christians shouldn't allow the type of music being played to fracture the church. But that doesn't mean we all have to then deny, say, contemporary music's the problem and we need to go back to this bygone age of quote unquote traditional uh, worship music. That's That's not what we need to do. That's not the lesson here. Uh, Let's see if there's anything else. Uh, he's absolutely right at the end where he said this isn't about making money or seeking fame. Uh, but again, as we said earlier, that could also be said about books and a myriad of other products that are being sold in the Christian industrial uh, complex. Let's take this to movies. and as well. Let's just let's in on movies. Sure.
2: We're
1: I right. think one of the reasons why again, you and I find YouTube more we respond to YouTube more than a lot of cr- traditional Christian music is oh, to put it clumsy clumsy, there's a level, level of dirtiness to it. I don't mean like filth like there's just a level there's a, world, a level of worldliness that it's coming from it's coming it's not coming from a
2: there's not an alternative agenda in my opinion well, well it's
1: coming from a world it's coming from a world that it's coming from the world of of what the world is yeah, a, a yeah. broken world yeah. and it's saying i'm starting from the broken world and trying to find jesus or meet jesus in that broken world where christian music is we're already it it's again <laughs> Going back to the previous episode, a lot of Christian music is from the bounded set. It is from this we're already within the we're already within the kingdom, we're within the chosen folks and we're all sitting here worshiping and saying we're from this we're from the in-crowd. Yeah. And you and I for whatever reason are more animated by trying to meet people from where they're out from where they're at out
2: (laughs) uh out
1: or at and that's one reason one of the reasons why we don't like christian movies is (laughs) they're not dealing with the world as it is they're trying to they're dealing with most christian movies if there's a problem in a christian movie it's because they're already christians and someone's having a crisis of faith But we're not meeting someone from where they're at, which is they're a heroin addict, they can't get out of it, and the only way they're going to get out of this is finding the love and redemption of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that kind of a movie, you have to do things that a lot of Christians want to not be engaged in, even for two hours in a movie. They don't want to hear language they don't want to hear, they don't want to see things that they might want to see, and I'm not saying the movie needs to be gratuitous in nudity or things like that but a lot of the things that we produce in terms of christian movies that you're they are preaching to the choir and i'm not animated by those kind of things i want to see someone who's again is not preaching to the choir but down in the depths and the dirtiness of the world and trying to figure its way out and and present a case of becoming a christ follower from that level
2: i think that as a re as an
3: avid reader i
2: think one of the things that i value is a book that has a theme but is not trying to push an agenda And to where the theme is almost unclear at times. Yeah. Where you sit there and you go, oh. you struggle with some of the the things that have happened. Uh, there's moral ambiguity. There's a variety of different things that come across and you're like, oh my gosh, I struggle with this. Or was oh, like, oh man, this is frustrating. In, yeah, in, in Christian movies, and I would say that yeah, and you could make the analogy back to Christian music. It is predictable. It's predict yeah, and it's. Like I said, where you said you've you've heard one, you've heard of all, you've seen one movie, you've seen them all. I know how this goes. You follow the the hero's journey perfectly again i explain to children every single year that i teach books and is the hero's journey which is um some uh some person was able to figure out that every single story that's ever been told follows the hero's journey and whether or not they follow all of the steps they do follow the hero's journey and so therefore all stories are the same So, people have been able to combat that by being able to throw in things that blindside you. That's why um, that's why Game of Thrones is such a huge series is not because of how great of a story it is. I mean, George R. 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 Martin wrote a pretty good story, but the issue is more of. You are expecting things to go one way, and you could possibly think in your brain, you could possibly make the prediction of what's going to happen, but you would sit there and say, no, nobody would do that in a story. But then it happens, and then you're like, wait a minute, they actually did it? And you see that within the first season, where people are completely shocked, horrified, um their eyes are bugging out of their skulls because they're like there's no way that that just happened meanwhile they probably could have predicted it but the issue is just more of, along the lines of right in, is just R.R. R. Martin decided to confuse people right? by, by taking it's still the hero's story but you add twists and turns
3: along the way so you take that,
2: but yet Christianity has not evolved past that. We don't do that, and uh, listen—you don't need to do the—you don't need to follow the example given by Game of Thrones. Like you don't need to have somebody raping their sister, right, right, or you know, uh, pushing an innocent child off of the top of a tower or whatever. Honestly, I've never seen Game of Thrones. I just I know. That I know, that kind of stuff. You don't need to do that, but it again, as Tim said, there's, there is. It's almost it's not even an art, with Christian movies and Christian music. No, that it's, it's formulaic. Exactly, and it's, and we bring this up because. We want it to be better. I want it to be better. I would like Christian music to be better. I, again, like I said, I I want to go back to, like, my, my, uh, what what was the term that I, uh, my Opry is David Crowder, is Jars of Clay, um, there's even parts of relying k that i wish that we could go back to where people would play those songs in church and revisit them i don't know when david crowder became obsolete in the church but i hate when it did i remember it was
1: like something that was played every single sunday there was yes yeah, let's so let's deal with that for a minute cuz there was there was a time who didn't sing
2: uh,
1: "How He Loves" on a Sunday morning? The Christianity, the Christian music that you and I both find distasteful or boring. It hasn't always been this way. Now it's had its periods. It, it's cyclical. So it has, as its period, it, it was this way in the '90s. In the '90s was god awful too. In the '80s. It had its moments. Um, There was actually... (laughs) There was bands like Petra and Striper that were completely outside the norm. (laughs) uh, That were, you know, like heavy metal and prog rock and stuff. But I would say in the mid to to late 2000s, uh, Christian rock, Christian music was not a monolithic thing that will blame quote unquote Nashville for flattening out and turning into a generic sound. You had You had him, you had the Reuben kid who was doing like, yeah, John Ruben, John Reuben was phenomenal. I saw him live in Visalia. He was great. Uh, I have no idea what happened to him. Um, I don't know if he went off the deep end or he just fell out of favor. Um, you had what was left you had you still had uh Toby Mac and uh the the group uh DC Talk DC Talk which they were they were amazing
2: Super Chick was uh good on the female scene Hawk Nelson
1: Yeah you had these groups Switchfoot. that were they weren't all Switchfoot Oh my goodness so you had all these groups that were they didn't all fit like a cookie cookie cutter sound of something that had to be played on Sunday um and again, that's where I disagree with Macarthur and a lot of people of like Christian music should just be whatever you can play on Sunday in church. No, it needs to. That's why I enjoy you too because it, it's. I don't have to. I don't have to be moved by something that's not played corporately in church on Sunday. Yeah. But we also need to find a way to play stuff corporately on Sunday that all doesn't sound the same.
2: Yes, please.
1: Um.
2: Like, well, what do you mean it doesn't sound the same? We played the same four chords in a different pattern.
1: What you were saying before I've joked, I think, several times on this podcast that Ted lasso's the most. <laughs> it is, but I mean Christian, like, but yeah. it it is. I mean, look, if you're a Christian, there's a lot to be put off by it. And
2: again, it it never ever, which I, I will one hundred percent back if Jason Sudeikis was like, um uh, we never have a Christian. The, he hears our podcast and is like, "We've never had a Christian message at the entire time." They never, they never
1: explicitly say one.
2: Oh, I'm not. And again, one of the characters is like, like almost
1: satanic. Yeah, like you know, like Coach Beard. Yeah, Coach yeah. Beard is like dabbling in in the cult. It is. is it is not. Character. It is not. But again, I, I you know, U two is sneakily trying to be Christian. I guess what I'm trying to say is. For those of you who are believers out there, a lot of artists, whether they're musicians or they're TV writers or movie writers or directors, well, they're very honest. They'll, well, a lot of times it's a cop-out, but they're very, it's like, you take whatever you want from whatever I'm putting out there. It's not my job to just tell you what, there's not one message from this. And I invite you to take the the most Christian messages you can take from movies and TV shows and music whether it was written by a christian or not some of the most profound christian messages can be found in those things because some guy as we've said the the culture we live in whether people want to believe it or not is largely based on a jesus culture yeah and what is unabashedly christian about lasso whether they want it accepted it or not is the unbelievable killing of kindness that everyone is learning from this guy and being trained to to forgive and kill people with kindness and not hold grudges and there are no enemies and the people you think are enemies and are being terrible to you probably have a backstory that you don't understand and if you understood that you'd have some level of empathy for them that is the most Christian way of thinking whether they want you to whether they mean that or not and every time i watch a show they continually stumble into yeah that's how we're supposed to to be to behave as believers yeah we are the the scene that always kills me and i've watched it over and over again is the first season the owner has hired this guy last episode is what you're talking the last episode she has hired this guy and intentionally Sabotage his entire career is finally convinced she's got to go apologize and and is expecting the worst as anybody would including a Christian of getting a tongue lashing I hate you I don't want to talk to you and maybe at some point we'll get over it. And what does he do? He says, "Yeah, you're going through a divorce. Divorce does crazy things. I forgive you." He doesn't say it's all right. He says I forgive you, he forgives her. he doesn't just go like that's fine it's it's no it's no it's no water off my back. no, he says, I forgive you and then hugs her, and then she doesn't know what to do with it <laughs> Nobody would know what to fuck. <laughs> no and, and so that's why I th- and and it's why I think so many people, whether they're Christians or not, are animated by our can't stop talking about the show is because they are being fed a Christian message unintentionally and don't know it. Right. It's, and again, it's not.
3: If you listen
2: to a lot of what the world says about, we came by this ourselves and that kind of stuff. You could sit there and say, it's not a Christian show. And, But again like what we've talked about with the u2 lyrics and if you know the backstory and you know kind of that kind of stuff and you know the message that has been being preached and that you have worked so hard for those of you that have been sowing the seed you know that this is the message that jesus christ was presenting and and it's amazing to see happen um on this tv show there's a lot of like it's funny cuz i think i've talked about it before on here where tim and i have talked about it where it's like the show is so wholesome and that was my first genuine response and then somebody asked me i said it's the most wholesome show i've seen ever on television aside from bluey obviously
1: <laughs> bluey is amazing <laughs>
2: but uh i'm training to be i'm training to be a dad as i talked about earlier um i had some I I had a friend ask me, she was like, she said, is it really all that wholesome? And I was like, "Well, <laughs> Ted Lasso is the most wholesome person that's ever existed. And I think that a lot of us should, I think we should aspire to be like Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we should also aspire to try to, for. if you would like a more tangible goal, I think trying to be a lot more like Ted Lasso would do the world a lot of good. Um and I mean like he's not the first. Trying to be more like and again we're talking about film or TV, trying to be a lot more like Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society where I care about these kids or I care about these people. Um doesn't matter what they say about me. Just so we're clear, I've been watching a lot of Dead Poet Society. Or, I've got or Ford. Robin
1: Williams from Good Will Hunting.
2: He's a little bit more abrasive in Good uh, Will <laughs> Hunting. He still, <laughs> yeah, but he still cares. Again, it's it, that's the important part, right? It's that caring aspect. The Atticus hard... Finch. Atticus Finch. Again, these are people that are very real to us, and maybe that's just what we've been getting at tonight. Is that. Is that when it comes to Christian music, when it comes to Christian movies, when it comes to mass produced stuff, seems very plastic. Yeah. It's very fake. And it's not genuine. And I mean, like, we have actors, right, that are portraying this, but yet, for whatever reason, they have sold it to our souls, to our cores. These are men who believe in what it is that they're saying and what they're doing. and I mean, that's the hard part about watching Dead Poets Society is you watch the kid take his own life and you know now that Robin Williams will eventually take his own as well. Yeah. It's
3: tough. It's tough.
1: All right, well, on that downer note... (laughs) sorry <laughs> just saying don't be plastic don't be plastic uh yeah i think to wrap it up look i think there's we we talked last week the, the previous episode last week was this notion of jesus calling uh, his followers friends there's a famous i think 20th century song i'm pretty sure it's a 20th century song it's probably a folk song or a country song what a friend we have in jesus there is a fine line between what a friend we have in Jesus and the kingship and the Lord and Lordship and bowing down of God and Jesus Christ. And we're walking that fine line all the time. And that happens in church. And when you're at church, don't make the kind of music that they're doing all that big a deal. Try to keep it from being therapeutic. If you can. Yeah. Uh, whatever moves you outside of church, whether it's Christian, overtly Christian, or U2, or some other band that might you might know is a bunch of Christians, but they're just doing secular music, that's fine. Find your inspiration where it's at. I don't agree with MacArthur that everything's got to be just from the Bible or inspired by directly from the Bible. All right. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the go to hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review on your app of choice. That's where most more people can find out where they can go to hell. If you have any comments, particularly about you two, they better be positive. <laughs> and if they're not, if they're negative, we will de- gladly engage. You can email me at Tim at, uh, go to hell or Colton at go to hell com or comment, On your app of choice in the comments, uh, Instagram, send us a tweet. If you've heard a panting dog throughout the podcast, that is the wonderful puppy, Tank. Tank, now he's looking at me. You, my friend, can go to hell.
2: Cheers.